Welcome to another episode of Negative War, Positive Vibes. CJ Nikowski, Ryan Spielberg is going to jump right in. Get a little bit closer here to spring training. We're taping on Sunday night after all the NFL action here on January uh, 28th. So a little bit better than two weeks before uh, most spring training camps open up. And we're starting to see some more guys come off the board, spilling. The thing that is sticking out to me uh, with some of the recent news here is a couple of relievers as that reliever board gets a little bit thinner. Uh, signing for contracts, quite honestly, that came in a little bit light. As far as maybe what the projections were, what maybe the expectations were, you know, we sit here and watch markets unfold, and more often than not, those markets end up being with guys getting more money uh, than we anticipated. Hector Neris signing with the Chicago Cubs. One year, $9 million. There's also a $9 million uh, option. Uh, but this is a guy, if you look at what was available this offseason, uh, he was probably in the top five of relievers. It was Josh Hader, Jordan Hicks, Robert Stevenson, uh, Uriel Rodriguez, and then Hector Neris. There's still some good arms out there, but as far as the guys that are probably going to command uh, the most money, he certainly was in that top five. MLB trade rumors projected two years and $15 million. Now, ultimately, it could end up being two and 18, which is more. But I was really kind of surprised to see that this ended up being just a one-year deal uh, for Naris. He was really important to the Houston Astros. We've talked a lot about uh, their bullpen. This is a guy who has certainly shown a lot of consistency in his career. But he's coming off a year, Spilly, 71 games and a 1.71 ERA. I get it. His FIP was higher. His FIP was actually a 3.8. Um, but really good strikeouts, walks are up there a little bit. Uh, I was kind of surprised at this and thinking that you know a lot of times with the relievers, especially knowing what the market looked like, that guys actually would do better than expected. And in the case of Naris, just one year and $9 million. Yeah, so this one was a uh, for a player that I, I really like. I, I thought he fits a lot of people. I also enjoy his uh, reverse split. So he pitches to lefties really, really well because he has a – a little bit of a cut fastball, but it's invisible. It's not like a traditional cutter like we see with Mark Melanson or Kelly Jansen. Uh, but I, I like him, and I, I was surprised too. CJ, I mean, I saw the deal come out, and I was like, oh, well, again, like this is another player that uh, probably could have fit on a couple other teams that I felt like there were some needs for. I, I think it's important that the Cubs continue to add I don't know why they're adding on the low end of the spectrum. I, I figured they'd be at some point starting to get their toes. I, I know Imanaga was a, was a big spend, but Imanaga is, a, is an unproven arm for maybe you're going to tell me below market. We'll see. Uh, it could be above market if he doesn't pitch well. And and so I see the Cubs are doing things, but it's, I don't know. It's I, I don't have a good analogy for it other than, you have a nice home in a nice neighborhood and, and maybe you're just like changing the carpet when you know the, um, maybe not even the, the, the carpet, maybe just like a, a running rug, you know, maybe like a, a front doorstep mat where there's other things you could do to really improve your home. They're not doing it. So I think in the case of Hector Neris and, and the market, I mean, the bullpen market has been robust. CJ, we already saw Josh Hader broke the record uh, when it comes to the AAV for closer over Edwin Diaz. The The Robert Stevenson deal is still crazy. I, I, I would love to see what it looks like three years from now. I, I think as we're paying attention to what Jordan Hicks got, even though he's a starter right now, if he goes to the bullpen, that's still $11 million a year. Neris, I felt like, had the 
the most consistent year in year out, right? Like as far as his uh, his ability to get outs with the Astros, but he also wasn't pitching the eighth inning. He wasn't pitching the ninth, so he was kind of in a weird, funky spot. But still got paid pretty well. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't Ryan Presley and he wasn't Brian and Braves. So I think any team that was arguing with uh, Octagon, which is Hector Neris's uh, agency, they're like, hey, listen, we're not we're not planning on I'm using Hector the ninth. Uh, it's not like it's not like he was there when he was with Philadelphia. So I don't. I mean, you tell me if if you're a sixth, seventh inning, eighth inning guy, occasional closer, is this a number that you want to get paid? Especially when you just saw Robert Stevenson sign for eleven million dollars and three for three years after just having a second half that was better than everybody. I'm I'm surprised it was this little. I, I we talked about it last week, and I said I'm very comfortable giving Hector Neris a two-year deal. Now, this also to me is a little bit of an indication of how the game has changed because your first thing you would have looked at was 71 games, a 1.71 ERA, 77 strikeouts in those 68 and a third innings, and that would have got you paid a pretty good amount, even with the walks that are in there last year. And I mean last year, meaning 2022. He had a well above average or better than league average walk rate of 2.3 per night. He was up over four this year. That goes in the other direction of being worse uh, than league average. And so there was a change there for him. While the strikeouts generally stayed the same, the walk rate really jumped uh, for him. He had a ridiculously low home run rate in 2022, just three home runs allowed, seven last year. Uh, that jumped up on him, but up up on him. But I think the thing that probably caused this contract to come down the way that it did. Uh, was looking at some of the numbers that tell you, you know what, the future is not going to be as good. I say some of the numbers, meaning some of the analytics. There was a lot of talk about his fastball velocity coming down uh, not quite a mile and, and a half, um, yeah, sitting at 93 last year. And I'm like, all right, well, it's a four-seam fastball. It sits at 93, but the batting average against it was 153. Like It wasn't like we saw diminished stuff and guys were able to figure out ways uh, to get to that pitch. I mean, they still only combined hit 174 against him on all pitches. You know, and his top two pitches are the four-seamer and the split. And they were at 153 and 171 apiece. You mentioned kind of some of the splits with him, lefty-righty. Uh, he's able to get lefties out in a really big way, but he got righties out. They hit just 181 against him. And so while I can certainly applaud teams for digging in and trying to find ways to, you know, let's say give them concern, but that's what this seems like, uh, looking at some of the fastball numbers coming down, seeing the walk rate jump, and the walk rate is something that can get away from him. Um, you know, if this was a decade ago, he is getting paid much better than he did, at least in proportion to what the rest of the league is making uh, because of the ERA, because of the game's pitch. I mean, he's been out there consistently. You know, you look at each of the last three years, he's up over 70 games each year. I mean, that is three straight years where you're looking at, what is that, 215 games for him in the last three years and all really good numbers in there. Uh, for the most part, again, it's outside of the walks jumping up a little bit here and there. So I, I think this was probably a product of collectively the game. Like nobody bit. No team went out there and looked at kind of some of the raw numbers and said, yeah, we'll take this guy in a two-year deal. Uh, it didn't happen. And so he ends up signing the one for nine uh, because people are scared off about seeing some of that velocity uh, start to go down, seeing a higher walk rate last year, despite the fact uh, that there was a lot of other really good things for him uh, going on. And we also know the Astros use him quite a bit uh, in the postseason and what we saw, at least with Dusty Baker, and, and maybe that's part of it too, right? Dusty Baker has a tendency to to really count on some of the older guys. He pitched five times in the seven-game ALCS. It was six and a third. He gave up two runs. He did have four walks to only 
uh, three strikeouts. Uh, and so maybe that was part of it as you started to worry a little bit about the walk rate with him. Um, but it's, 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 I get discouraged sometimes for these guys because it's the analytics, I think, that put him uh, in a different spot. And, and I get it. Ultimately, it's good for the game. Uh, but he was hurt by it, I think, combined with um, the age as well. And he wasn't the only one. Uh, that came in light, a guy that you know well from his years in Colorado, uh, and he finished up the season with the New York Yankees, excuse me, the New York Mets after previously pitching for the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, was Adam Adovino. Adam Adovino came in uh, a little bit lighter than expected. If you remember this past offseason for Adovino, right, he turned down a player option, which I believe was, what, six and change, and he ends up signing back with the same team. He seemed concerned about kind of the direction of the Mets, signs back with the New York Mets for less than he would have had he just exercised uh, his option, $4.5 million, that report coming out of New York, Joel Sherman had that one uh, with the post. Spilly, he declined his 6.75 player option and ends up getting uh, now $2.25 million less than what he had in hand. I'm going to have to text him and ask him, dude, what happened? Uh, I yeah. think a couple, a couple things is especially for Otto, you know, who's from he's from Brooklyn. He's from that uh, from that area. He grew up his wife's there. Uh, they have kids there. They, yeah, there's a really good story about about Adam Ottavino. I I also believe when we're trying to figure out a reliever market, the reliever market, you and I both know this, we because we talk about this and we've talked about it for years. It's the most volatile market out there. It is the it is the Bitcoin crypto market of baseball it is it it fluctuates there's one year you might get a high value for certain types of reliever closers uh, back-end guys another year you might not see anything it's just it's hard to tell there there's been times where we we've seen uh, a player's age not impact him at all when it comes to the back end of the bullpen and then there's other times where it's like hey you're getting old uh, i i don't know what it is i also feel like certain organizations uh, do value players in ways that are not across the board. So if you, if you want to notice any discrepancies in baseball, which teams are analytics heavy and which are not uh, the reliever market shows you. It's why I think the angels have been bitten by it because I don't think the angels are as analytically driven as we've seen the Braves uh, you know, even even the Astros, in in a sense, you can talk about the Dodgers. You can talk about all these different teams. You know, some some organizations rarely go to the to the reliever market, especially for multi year deals. So, in the case of Adam Ottavino, I could see him at the start, and, and you know, understanding what an agent might say. Hey, listen, you had a good year. Your your slider still works. I think there's you, your value might be worth more than your option. And so he's like, okay, let's go. Let's see if there's any other teams that want to take a shot. Let's see if I want to come back uh, and stay in New York. And clearly, you know, when the market started to dry up, I'm sure he was like, hey, I'd rather stay in New York and take $2 million less in my option. And I'd rather just be home. So that, I mean, it does make sense. But you tell me, CJ, I mean, like in the example of, of the Cubs, because we have heard already when it comes to a guy like Cody Bellinger, you know, the, Hey, the exit velocity off the bat kind of, a, you know, is, is the reason why that they're a little skeptical on whether he uh, is warranting a multi-year deal to the level that Cody Bellinger wants. There's also eye test and results. I mean, sometimes you can't, I mean, in the case of Hector Neris, CJ can't deny the fact last year he had a 1.05 whip and a 171 ERA. 
regardless of the walk rate or if you said his extension yeah. isn't good or age. Same with Bellinger. Bellinger's a, hit over 300 with 20 homers and 20 stolen bases. Who cares about the exit velocity? So yeah. I that's why I'm I'm always kind of I'm weirded out, CJ, sometimes because I don't know why organizations do one thing one time and then they say something for another. Like I just don't I don't I don't understand all the things that happen. Yeah, I, I get it. And I don't understand how Adam Adovino ended up getting less money than he had for a player option. And who knows, maybe at this point in his career, it was worth taking a step back and seeing what was out there. He's made better than $40 million in his career. And so to give up a couple, I mean, listen, $2 million is $2 million. And it was a little bit more than that. But you look at his last two years, 132 games, 2.62 ERA, 10 strikeouts per nine. He's coming off a year in which he had 12 saves, which is a career high. He hasn't been an everyday closer in the past. Another guy, though, that saw velocity come down a little bit, I guess, uh, is part of it. I think the irony in all of this is that he was just on uh, last week on a podcast talking about uh, the reason that he did not exercise his player option was that while he loved being part of the Mets organization, I'm reading this off of trade rumors, is that he had concerns at the time about the club's future, um, you know, con- uh, keeping in mind their managerial situation. And some rumors that the club was going to take a step back. So they changed managers. Uh, and it hasn't been an overly active offseason. We kind of see what's going on with the Mets, but they're still trying to remain somehow uh, contenders with what they have. And yet it still seemed worth it uh, to go back there, despite the fact that he lost the $2.25 uh, million. I think these are good signs for both of these teams because I think both of these guys are really good. And I just wonder a little bit about getting dinged as much as both Adam Adovino and Hector Neris did on the walks and what it does to that fielding independent pitching at a time when their velocity has come down a little bit. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of wild to look at. Uh, in the case of Adovino with the fastball, respectable numbers, but not nearly as good as what we saw for Neris, 242 batting average against with a 752 OPS. That's on the two-seamer, the one that he uses a lot more uh, than the four-seamer. He had a sweeper in there that was pretty good. So uh, very interesting to see, but I think a couple of good deals for teams, and who knows, maybe uh, waiting a little bit longer did not work out. Uh, in the case of Adovino, he had the option, and, and with Neris, we don't know what other offers might have been out there, but certainly feeling like as we get toward the end of January, um, that this was going to be the best one available to him. How about a rumor out there, Spilly? We've heard a lot about Dylan Cease, and we also know that he has been named the opening day starter, which may be a record for the earliest opening day starter ever named. Um, it was just seemed weird at the time to even see that, almost like, okay, hey, we want to squash all these rumors. Uh, then, of course, you run the risk if someone's going to knock your socks off and you got to make a deal, you got to kind of go backwards and, uh, and eat crow a little bit. But the Mariners allegedly interested uh, in a guy like Dylan Cease, they certainly have pitching to match up young, controllable pitchers. I was a little bit surprised to see this, quite honestly, based on everything um, that we had heard. Uh, but why not? I mean, who wouldn't be at this point? And the fact that the Mariners have pitching uh, to trade, uh, and they actually may be in on something like this, uh, I'm certainly still listening because if that means that some of those young arms could end up being, uh, you know, all of a sudden, Chicago White Sox, well, that fits perfect for them. You start thinking about Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. Those are some names that are coming up. What do you think about the idea of moving on for some young pitching, from some young pitching, to bring in a guy with two years of control that could pitch at the top of your rotation in Dylan Cease? I, I like it. I, I do because I think the Mariners fumbled the ball this offseason for a couple of reasons why. I mean, first off, they them not being more aggressive when, when we felt like they had a chance to be more aggressive, especially with how disappointing the end of the season was for them. 
they have been they've been kind of they haven't been getting my applause, CJ. I mean, you and I have both been kind of down on the Mariners because it feels like every year they flip flop. One year we do this, next year we do that, this year we do this, and then you add the fifty four percent number that that Jerry Depoto threw out. Like, hey, if you win fifty four percent of your games, you know you have a likelihood of of being in the postseason every single year. It's like, shut up, mm-hmm. <laughs> like go get me the best players available. We wanted Otani, we want Ballinger. You know, like that's what Mariner fans wanted and expected. And to go get Dylan Cease, yeah, I think it's important. I, I think part of it is the Mariners need some name recognition and to get some excitement with a team that is already exciting in a fan base that was just salivating for them to push the next level. They didn't. And now you're heading into spring training where, again, I think if you're the Mariners, you're pushing for a deal now because you're taking advantage of the White Sox not having a full view of your farm system. I really think it's always important. Again, I I tell you this all the time. The offseason, you're going to see players show up to spring training in better shape, better than they were a year ago, and there might be somebody in the minor league system that's going to come in throwing darts and fuel, coming off an injury, and you're going to go like, oh, man, like that's a future starter in an organization that you could pluck if you get to spring training and you see it. If you if you're trading Dylan Cease now before you have the open open camps of all these teams, I think if you're the White Sox, it's a big mistake. Unless you think Dylan Cease is going to get hurt. So I I mean I again I want as much information from today versus hey Brian Wu was pretty good last year. Hey we really like Bryce Miller. He's, you know, like he, he's a kid that that throws a bunch of strikes. We like him. Well, what if he regressed or what if there's somebody else in the organization that's better? So I think it would be a mistake from the White Sox per, uh, perspective. I think it would be great from the Mariners perspective to land somebody just to get some mojo back. Don't forget, they already traded Robbie Ray. So Mariners, Mariners, I feel like they do have some wiggle room to add in what a better combination at the top of the rotation. Could you imagine that Logan Gilbert, Mm. Luis Castillo, Dylan cease. No, thank you. Yeah, it would be amazing. I wonder about the financial part of it a little bit. I mean, obviously there's some interest there. They figure out a way uh, to make it work. Uh, We just keep hearing that the payroll is going to be lower. It's currently about $11 million lower than where they were. Because the only thing for me, quite honestly, if I'm running the white Sox at this point and their payroll is still respectable, at 151, but anybody that wants Dylan Cease for me, yeah, you got to make sure you get a good return. I'm also probably going to try to get Yoan Moncada in that deal as well. You know, I mean, the thing about the the 24.8 million dollars that he's making, I think I'm going to have somebody else uh, probably eat that. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I, it seems unlikely. I don't know if I love the move as much. I like Dylan Cease, but I don't know if I love it nearly as much. Um, but if you're going to take Yoan Moncada and most of his money. Uh, then I think we maybe have something uh, to talk about. Give me one of those arms uh, in return. How about this story that we heard? Last one uh, for us here. As we start to see a trend, maybe uh, young players locking them up. We've seen some success stories. We've seen some failures. And even the idea of doing this before players ever get to the big leagues, the Detroit Tigers announcing uh, that they have extended infield prospect Colt Keith, six-year deal, with three options on the back end, he's going to be guaranteed a little bit more than 
uh, million dollars. He's an interesting guy in the sense that you've seen some pretty big numbers. 22 years old. He was a fifth round pick in 2020. That was that shortened draft. It seems like the late rounders from that uh, five round draft uh, doing pretty well. Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, and some others that were taken late have become impact big leaguers. Uh, this kid last year splitting time between Toledo, which is triple A, Erie, double A. Hitting 27 home runs, hitting 306, 932 spilly was the OPS. Uh, a lot to like here. Certainly offensively, the numbers jump off the page, uh, especially with a respectable amount of time that he had at AAA. At 287 there with a 369 uh, on base. The guy has always got on base uh, at the minor league level, 382 in his career, just over 1,000 plate appearances. Probably going to play second base potentially here now on opening day. But we kind of joked about it a little bit. I don't follow the minor leagues that closely, but I had not heard this name until the Tigers announced that they just gave this kid better than $28 million. Yeah, I did not either. And I'm big in Detroit. Uh, by the way, congratulations, 49ers getting to the Super Bowl, taking down uh, the Detroit Lions. But I am all in. I mean, I, I do love what the, the direction of the Tigers from a front office perspective. This is a great deal. If you If he ends up being a really good player, uh, the chance that it could be a nine-year deal for uh, if you if you're taking the options right, CJ. If hmm. if this player and you're actually playing out the options, you're willing to keep him at the major league level for nine years. Eighty-two million dollars is a bargain for a second baseman. We know that, but you also have guys like Ozzy Albies. Al Ozzy Albies is making seven million dollars this year for the yeah. best second baseman in baseball. It's a joke. Uh, terrible deal from 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 the agent in Albie's deal. Um, this one was done by the Munger English Sports Management. I looked around to see what other players that they were uh, represented. Michael Harris is second, probably a below market deal that they took there. Uh, mm -hmm. Christian Encarnacion Strand. I think there's there's always Jose Leclerc is in this one too. I think there's always a little bit of an apprehension for me. When I see a young player like this take a multi-year deal from an agency that I don't recognize. And right. and I this doesn't mean that they're not a good agency. My point is, is some of the some agents refuse to let their players take these type of deals early on because they know that they're always team friendly. And right. they're gonna leave a lot of money on the table if the player just goes out, plays, and performs and competes and is decent. Um, because you, you, like, you know, the first year of, uh, major league minimum is 700,000 the next. So essentially your first three-year contract, especially if you're good enough to be on an opening day roster, which it felt like they said he was, there's also the, the bonus pool that was added to the CBA. And there's a benefit to a team like the Tigers. If Colt Keith ends up in top three rookie of the year, there's a draft pick in there. So there's an incentive for these organizations to push these young players to the big leagues early. So here's my point. So it's a, the first three years is already a $2.1 million deal. So you already yeah. off the bat, off the bat as a major leaguer, you have a three-year $2.1 million deal, right? Yeah. If, you if you're staying the big leagues all three years, yeah. So we're just doing yeah. the simple, and then you're, then yeah. you're doing arbitration, Say like he's an everyday player, $2.4 million, right? We'll just come up with the number since he's playing every day. Then he goes up 20%, then another 20. Uh, he's not going to have seven years of control. So that's three years of arbitration there. 
So that that's probably somewhere like we're just doing reasonable numbers, right? A two, a four, and a six. That gets him at twelve. So I mean, like just off the bat, um, if he's if he's like below average, he's still making more money uh, through the arbitration process, presumably, uh, than a multi-year contract. It's that's just the risk that you play because you're giving up um, some of these numbers. So he does get a two million dollars signing bonus. Two and a half million dollars in salary this year. That's a pretty big increase. Like yeah, I for mean, a kid who signed for five hundred grand. I mean, right if I'm not mistaken, if you go back and look as far as you know how the draft went for him, uh, as late as he was in that uh, fifth round. Uh, yeah, it was an even five hundred thousand dollars. Not that that's not a lot of money, uh, but that was four years ago. And the fact that he's now essentially pocketing uh, twenty eight. You mentioned the signing bonus, and then all of those years that are on top the uh, the option years or at 10, 13, and 15, those numbers could go up based on some of his production. So you start knocking on the door of around $70 million if he stays under control uh, that entire time, all the way through 2032, uh, potentially here with the Detroit Tigers. But it's an interesting uh, angle for sure, right? It can go one, I guess they say 82 million over the nine years of all the options are escalated fully uh, and exercise, as I mentioned, some of the escalators. So the, the base on that, if they weren't to, is in the 60s. The overall is about $82 uh, million, so saying maxed out over those nine years. So it's three years, essentially, of free agency uh, that you're buying. And if he turns into a pretty good uh, young big leaguer, I mean, at that point, that's the only thing that um, you think about, too, is you got to be in the right spot for these things when it comes to age. So he's 22. Uh, he'll be playing in his age 22 season. And so thinking about those potential six years, he'd be a free agent after his 27. That is prime time. And in that position, if he's doing well and hitting anything close to what we have seen, uh, he would certainly be making a lot more money uh, than he will be. Uh, just like Ronald Acuna Jr. would have been making a lot more money at the end of this year. He would have been a free agent after 2024. Instead, there's an additional four years of control, including this one, uh, that the Braves had. He's a $400-plus million player, would have been. Uh, that's the chance that you take on both sides of it for sure. Uh, and that's kind of the way that it goes. But I just, I wonder about teams that we've seen two of these deals now this off season, right? With, um, Churio as Church, well. Churio. Yeah. So now yeah. it's like, okay, this is twice. Now, the one thing I will say that you know, not these things are not, um, Bible, right? That doesn't mean that they're a hundred percent right. But in the case of Churio, he is the number two overall prospect, uh, in the game. In this situation with Colt Keith, MLB Pipeline has him at 22nd. Certainly nothing to sneeze at, but if, quite honestly, for me, we start getting below five, six, seven, and it's not to say that there's not stars down the list. There are. We don't know who they're going to be, um, but there's a pretty considerable drop-off. Now, this year, Evan Carter is still a rookie, so he's fifth. He's already been hitting in the World Series and hitting in the middle of a lineup. Dylan Cruz is down to seventh. Looks like he's probably on his way. Uh, there's some good names in there, and maybe it's just a you know situation where we run a little bit deeper. Um, but it's not as if this guy was you know near the top of a a lot of top 100 lists. He's their top prospect in Detroit, and so I just wonder other teams start looking around, other players start looking around at their age and say, man, do I want to do this deal? Do I want to at least kind of put some feelers out, even though I haven't even been to the big leagues yet? I mean, like CJ, the the one like there's two ways to look at it. If he turns out to be a great player, then he's still making a lot of money, and you're done and over with, and you don't have to worry about it. If you end up being a marginal player, you made twenty eight million dollars, and you're like it's it would be really difficult to turn this down. And then there's the the then there's the 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 truth of it, 
Scott Kingery had this deal. You remember Scott Kingery with the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Phillies? Yeah. Scott Kingery was given a six-year deal for $24 million. Barely played. I mean, legit, yeah. barely played, was in the minor leagues. And so that deal, he would never have made that had he tried to just go through the arbitration process. He wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. anywhere near it. So nope. I, I, I just think it's everybody has to decide on their own if the deal makes sense for them. I always try to pay attention to all the different variables uh, because there's, it's not just a, I mean, organizations don't just hand these out. There's a reason why they're comfortable giving them out because it's a low risk, high reward. If the player ends up doing well. Yeah. It's uh, it, there's risk involved for sure. The upside is when you hit is amazing for your club. Evan White's another one with the Mariners did not work out particularly well. Six years, $24 million. There's still next year and 2025 left on that deal. Of course, there's some options there that right now are not looking like they are going to get exercised anytime soon. He's no longer on the 40 man roster. He is with uh, the Los Angeles angels. And so uh, we will see. Uh, the guy that becomes, I think, most interesting uh, to all of us. And unfortunately, I think if you're the Orioles with Jackson Holiday, he knows the big leagues and his family does all too well. And uh, that that probably have to be about a 10-year deal over $150 million to even entice him uh, at this point. He is not interested. I can't imagine. I can't speak for him. Uh, but anything that is, uh, you know, only uh, in the uh, 20, 30, 40, even $40 million range, which is just nuts to think for a 20-year-old, 20-year-old kid. But he is the best prospect in the game, and uh, the Orioles got a good one. But that might be a tougher deal um, to deal with. Well, they got to start locking up some of these guys, too. I mean, the other side of it, the longer you wait with Adley Rushman, the less likely it becomes. And they're putting a really fun thing together. Um, But I think if any team really needs to kind of jump on the trend of what we're seeing, the Orioles have got to be the team um, to figure that out. I mean, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rushman, we're already talking about Santander as a free agent at the end of the year, probably on his way out. Uh, The key pieces here. Uh, it seems like they're going to have a difficult time doing this. And, and I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you convince players to do it, uh, but I don't see how the Baltimore Orioles, I'm not saying they can't keep any of those guys, but they're not getting any of these discounts. I think they've waited too long, especially on Gunner and Adley. Yeah, they're not doing it. In the, I mean, I'm, I'm down on Baltimore too. Uh, I'm down on a couple teams <laughs> this year, uh, but Baltimore, they have not shown the appetite to be aggressive, with, even within uh, within the organization. So I don't see any versions of it. If, if, you know, the owner could just cry poor and when it gets to the point where the, you know, Adley's going to sign elsewhere as a free agent, five, six years from now, he goes, yeah, we couldn't afford him. You put to your point, if you were aggressive last year with some of these players, you might've been able to get Gunner or Adley uh, for a discount. Now there's no way in hell that these guys would take it, especially if yeah. you know that you're, you're going to have a kid like Jackson holiday, that's going to be there too. And, and like, which one do you give the contract to first? It's t- the reason, the one thing, one of the things you run into, I think with, with Rushman, not a knock on him, but he is about to turn 26 years old. And so he's already, you got him through age 29 and you gave him $8 million to sign. And, and same with Jackson holiday. He was up over $8 million. It's a really nice start to your financial career. And so there's not really the extra uh, motivation to, to help the team out, maybe as much as taking a kid like we're talking about with Colt Keith because he signed for just 500 grand uh, back in 2020. Like he didn't have that great head start, right? If you're not dumb, you can take $8 million and do really well for yourself uh, the rest of your life. Obviously, Adley Rushman has already turned into a star in the game and he's a year away from 
arbitration as a two-year player. So they they got their hands full, but they it's just like, man, you're going to have to take some chances here sooner or later. You're going to have to do something, or in about four years, these fans are going to be furious. Like, they're really excited about what you put together, but if this thing starts falling apart, as some of these guys get closer to free agency, they are not going to be happy. Yeah, they got a lot of young talent, but you like to think that there's a face or two that's going to stick around and be there for a decade or so. That's what they would like to have, but uh, they're going to have some work to do to be able to make that happen. All right, that'll do it for us here on Negative War Positive Vibes. Make sure you check Spilly and I out all week long. We'll be on MLB Network Radio. That's Loud Outs, our show uh, that runs 2 to 5 Eastern time as we get just a little bit closer. Right around the corner, pitchers and catchers will be reporting before you know it. Have a great day, everybody.